Totally Football Show. Today, the chap in the cap steps back. We report on the Aggie at the Baggies as West Brom respond by putting Pulis on the streets. Oh, yeah. Elsewhere, Arsenal make shock bid for relevancy with victory over Spurs, while their form swings as wildly as an Andy Carroll elbow. Up top, the Mancunians are relentless. We've got the latest on the Mad Manx 2. Also, murder at the Vicarage, as Iron's prayers not answered at Watford, and so much more, including the continent. Steady, it's another round of Champions League. Plus your questions and other kerfuffle in this Totally Football Show. Hey, hello, listeners. Thanks for joining us. Got Ian McIntosh with you today. Hi. Hi, Ian. And ahoy, new shipmate, Benji Lanyardo. Ahoy. I'm oh, Benji. You're part of the Stop Hammer Time podcast. That's a great title, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Not my title, but yeah. Hmm. You also have a season ticket at West Ham. Correct. Yeah. And oh, also, you've been sponsoring with your pick fair, Hipster Favourites Dulwich Hamlet. Yeah, they're in a bit of trouble at the moment as well. Boy, I'll say. Mm. Well, I tell you what, we'll hear more about that later on because I've got to introduce Empty Chair. Yeah, Empty Chair will be telling us much more later when it is filled with the bottom of Ian Irving, who's fresh out of Manchester, home of football. But before we get on to any of that other stuff, as you've probably heard, listeners, big developments in the West Midlands as Tony Pulis is fired sensationally by West Brom. Wow. Shock, Ian. Shock. Well, is it? It is, though, because it's is Tony it? Pulis. Yeah, but there's always been the debate over Tony Pulis that he gets you survival, he gets you lower mid-table, but the football's awful. But in recent weeks, in recent months, in fact, he hasn't been getting the results, and it's been awful football. It, it's felt like this has been on the cards for, for a little while. Mm. By the way, that hum <laughs> is nothing to do with anyone in here. It's building work next door. Just to clear that up. They were 10th last season. So where's it all gone so very wrong? Well, there was the victory over Arsenal, which, Mm -hmm. as you remember, was uh, disastrous for the the Gunners and um, uh, effectively ended their season. And then they never kicked on from there. I remember there was an article by uh, Jonathan Liu in the Telegraph at the time saying this is what always happens. West Brom always get to this point under Tony Pulis, or Tony Pulis sides always get to this point. And then they stop, and Tony Pulis was very angry with that article. But then... I think he won one more game in the in the remainder of the season. Sometimes it's very difficult if you've got players at 100% in search of one objective just to get to that 40-point mark. Yeah. Once you crash through it, it's very difficult but to maintain But that was last that. season. What about this season? Well, no this wins season, since August. This season they started like a flyer. Um, two wins. And then they uh, they drew one and they, they haven't won since. So, but the weird, really weird thing hmm. is that they've actually got good players there. No. So why is, for the first time, Pulis not able to motivate a team to get towards 40 points? Well, the formation's changed. You have this kind of back three with a shielding midfield three, which has made things a little stodgy. They're not making the chances that um, that, that you would hope for. And they've had a little bit of bad luck. They've had a few results go against them that shouldn't have done, most notably the game against Stoke in September that they should have won and there was a, a, an error. That, that, that blew the match for them and they've just never really recovered and it's tough when you, the lines are that fine um, when you're just winning on little percentages here and there once it goes it can be very very difficult to stop and I say this as someone who's a big fan of Tony Pulis as a person as, as a person and as a manager oh, He's, right, okay. he, I, I, he said in his programme notes you know when I took over there were these players and this was the situation mm. and 
Yeah, that, that's absolutely fair. The, the problem is that we're now nearly three years down the line. Quite a lot of money's been spent. And you, you've got to progress. You've got to move forward. At the very least, you've got to stand still. And unfortunately, they have dropped backwards. I'm still mystified at why he, who was always an absolute guarantee at doing a certain job, can no longer do it at a club where he was able to do it for, what, three seasons? Well, there, there would be the, the argument, probably from, from his side, that you know, we're only in November, and if you actually left him there through December and January, then he'd eventually be able to turn it around. Do you He's, think that's true? I think it's possible, but I also think that if I'd just laid out 175 million quid for a football club, I wouldn't necessarily want to take that risk. Mm. And I think the the reason that he's been sacked, as well as the, the poor form, is the, the mood at the club and the atmosphere there. It's never been that great anyway. At the beginning of last season, there were pewless out chants from West Brom supporters. And it's easy enough for us to sit here and say, yeah, be careful what you wish for, and you know, at least they're not getting relegated. But we're not paying 500 quid for a season ticket, and we're not giving up the weekends to follow them away up and down the country. So you can understand why the fans were falling out of love with it. And mm. when that's gone and the results have gone, there's not really much to keep you. Well, you've been in this predicament yourself, Benji. Well, this you? is it. It reminds me a lot of West Ham and, uh, and Aladice. And I think it's Pulis and Aladice are, are kind of cut from similar cloth in that they, they will certainly stop the rot early on and they'll, and they'll gain a sort of begrudging respect from the fans. And they might even start to like them, but it's very difficult to love them. I think once, once you've got to a certain level with both Pulis and Aladice, there's not much romance beyond that. And, it, and every West Ham, uh, sorry, West Brom fan that I've spoken to about Pulis, none of them were ever particularly infused. And I think you eventually get there with Pulis. You know what I think? R.I.P. British coaching. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to be next? Well, with the Hawthorns. It's very difficult to tell because we do have the the new owner, uh, Guachen Lei, the the Chinese owner. So you don't really have any precedent to draw on. You always want to know what the owner's motivations are before you start guessing at managers. John Williams is there, very experienced football man as as chairman, and you'd suspect he'd have some kind of influence. You'd also suspect that immediate links will be drawn between him and Sam Allardyce, who worked together at Blackburn Rovers. And Sam does seem to have retired and yet regretted it and wants to come back. But wouldn't that be exactly the same as what they just... Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Anyway, um, on you go. They, they would have exactly the same problem there. Michael Appleton might be a good shout. Did a very good dress rehearsal for Leicester, um, steadying the ship there. He's still assistant to Whispering Claude, but he did play at West Brom and he's been caretaker manager there before so he's an option weirdly the local paper did a poll and Ronald Koeman came out as the favourite by some distance which I don't really understand because it doesn't feel like a natural fit doesn't does it Ben Haynes knows who he wants he says how hard would I have to wish for Zdenek Zeman to West Brom to become a reality (laughs) boy that would be sensational (laughs) wouldn't it also in the mix of course various O'Neills but not Chris Coleman because he's gone to Sunderland which is something We'll touch on later's next North London Derby. Joining us now on the Totally Football Show is Ian Irving. Ian, you had a nightmarish journey from north. Yes, you'd think I was travelling from the North Pole, though, rather than Manchester, to be honest. (laughs) The length of time it's taken me, so apologies for that. All right. Ian Irving, of course, familiar to viewers around the world as the Manchester beat reporter for the Premier League. Yeah, Manchester and Liverpool. And, and Liverpool. And when I've been a naughty boy, they sent me out to Burnley as well, so we cover the whole area. They are a big story right now. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, they are the story. Um, of course, Manchester City are great, Manchester United are great, Liverpool will always be a story. Everton at the moment are having their issues, so they're a story too. But yeah, in terms of the success story of Burnley so far this season, they've been absolutely remarkable, mm. really. 
Ian, what you've missed so far is our analysis of the whole Tony Pulis situation. Sad, sad day for uh, English management and that. But you're just in time to discuss the North London derby. Did you see it? I did, yes. All right. OK. Uh, we're calling this one a narrative buster. <laughs> yeah, it, it was being billed as this massive fixture, wasn't it? And it was being billed as this. Uh, and we've had them in Manchester over the years as well. These games in derbies where one team's going one way and the other team's going the other. And then the game actually happens and it turns out that, oh, hang on a minute. It's not how we presumed. It, it can be different. I mean, I'd like to point out Arsenal are still sixth and, and Tottenham are still fourth. But in terms of a result, um, yeah, it certainly didn't go with the narrative that we all expected. The question they're all asking now is why not every week, Arsenal? You could make a, a case for saying that they are kind of doing this every other week because they win all their home games. And here's another stat. It's actually five wins from five for Arsenal when they start with Sanchez and Lacazette together, which they conspicuously failed to do recently against Man City. Do you believe in the new Arsenal, Benji? Let's wait and see. They got Burnley away next weekend. I mm. think that the, the, it was a very un-Spurs-like performance, but let's, let's face it, it was also quite an un-Arsenal-like performance. There was real backbone and nerve there. Um, and, and there was a lot of triumphalism on social media after from some of their players. But I think we've got, to wait, we've got to wait and see. We just don't know. These kind of performances from Arsenal have very much been the exception rather than the rule against big clubs over the last couple of years. Mm. Adam Avery says, is Arsenal's inconsistency down to Wenger or to the players wanting out or something else entirely? Ian? It's hard to say what it's down to, but um, Arsenal fans were obviously jubilant and have every right to be afterwards. I'd have been furious. I think you get performances like the FA Cup final where they're absolutely incredible, but they're fighting for everything. You get performances like that, and then you get performances like the one at Anfield. Um, It sounds churlish after such a great display to, to talk like that, but... You know, you, you can just see them going to Burnley and not beating them. Um, they really, really need to get their act together because mm. they are level on points with Burnley. Right. they got Huddersfield at home after the Burnley game and then Man United at home. Of course, on Thursday, they're taking on Cologne, who are rock bottom of the Bundesliga. So Spurs then, the other side of this question, what happened to them? I don't know, James, to be honest. Um, I watched them at Old Trafford closely, reported on that game a few weeks back. And it wasn't quite as bad as Arsenal, but it certainly wasn't a vintage Spurs performance. There was several individuals on that pitch who you didn't really recognise compared to some of the levels that they found recently. I mean, Christian Eriksen, who's been absolutely fantastic, certainly the last couple of weeks with those performances for Denmark. At Old Trafford, he, he touched the ball a lot, but he didn't seem to do a great deal with it. There wasn't as much threat from Deli Alli. Uh, and Harry Kane as well wasn't playing that day, but those three players are the, are the key men, aren't they? Making Spurs tick going forward, essentially. Uh, and like at Old Trafford, the same, the same as well in the North London derby. It wasn't wasn't quite themselves, was it? No, indeed not. Benji, you got an amazing stat about Deli Ali, I think. Yeah, he's now the second most dispossessed player in the entire league. Um, which you know that that's number a, one. It's Jordan Ayew. It's a funny. It's a funny list because Jordan play, Ayew. Yeah, uh, uh, the the players who are most dispossessed are also the biggest risk takers. So, mm. and sometimes it pays off. So, number three in that list is Andros Townsend, who is also the dribbliest player in the league. He's he's done the most successful dribbles. You compare that to Delhi. Yeah, yeah. You compare that to Delhi Ali. He's not even in the top thirty. So, for Ali, things just aren't really working out this season. Hmm. Interesting. Also, their record away. A lot of people pointing out against top six sides. Is, is pretty dismal. Pochettino's record, indeed, again. Away at top six clubs. Played 17, 1-1. Oof, 
So, so now the issue is not playing at Wembley. It's funny how these things <laughs> these, these turn around. I'll tell you what, though. The, the one thing it's done is over the last couple of months, there's been this thing, weird thing about Tottenham and Pochettino where it's like, well, he's not won anything, has he? Yeah, let's not get overexcited. As if it's not worth getting overexcited about Tottenham suddenly being consistent title challengers, as if that's not weird in itself. This performance was very much a reminder of how Tottenham used to be. That kind of, well, there's a lot of talent there, but it's just not coming together. This was a vintage Tottenham display. I think just ex- expectations, not so much from Tottenham fans, who've actually been pretty realistic about everything, hmm. but from everyone else, I think they that, that should adjust them and temper them a little bit. And shout out to the uh, Arsenal back three, who, who were excellent. And I think whilst <laughs> Mustafi stole a lot of the headlines with his goal, obviously, and, and a really commanding defensive performance, it's actually the players either side who, who are doing the most work. So uh, Koscielny and Monreal have uh, made more interceptions than any other two players in the league. So if you've got them stopping the balls getting into the box and then Mustafi backing them out when they get there, it's actually, you know, they're becoming a really effective back three. And if you've got Lacazette and Sanchez up top, there's no reason why Arsenal can't push on from this. How many points are they back? Four points off second. Four points off second. However, yeah, <laughs> quite a lot of points off uh, after, was it 22? Well, everyone's... Tw- 12 points yeah, off top. Well, that's City for you, isn't it? Shall we move on to Manchester? Or, Ian, is there something you wanted to interject? This might be quite a nice link for you, even, James. Cool. I find it strange that Tottenham aren't targeting winning trophies. I find it strange that they're not prioritising that. I heard Pochettino say a few weeks ago about not being that bothered... Well, maybe they weren't his exact words, but they didn't seem that bothered about the League Cup. They didn't right. seem that bothered about the FA Cup. And it was it was about the Champions League and the Premier League. Now, as a reporter who's worked in Manchester the last few years, I do find that strange. Manchester United last year won the League Cup and they also won the Europa League. Now, they not, might not be the most celebrated trophies on the planet, but for that team and in their development, that was really important in terms of getting them over a line to becoming serial winners once again. And I've spoke to a number of players since those wins and every single one of them has said about how amazing those experiences were, how addictive those experiences were as well. And that once you've won one thing, whatever it is, you want to win more. And I really think that would help in Tottenham's development into a team who are consistently challenging for the Premier League, making steps forward in Europe. Winning these type of trophies, I think, would really help Spurs and really benefit them. In their defence, they're not doing that badly in Europe at the moment, fresh from that victory over Real Madrid, and already qualified for the last 16 with a trip to Dortmund, who, oh my word, are in some trouble. We will touch on that very shortly. The uh, matter of time for Peter Bosch now on the... Uh, the Borussia Dortmund bench. You're talking about Manchester, Ian. Did mm. you go to that Man United-Newcastle game at the weekend? Yeah, I worked that, yeah. That was special. Um, special? Yes, they're eight points behind. Yes, they've got a lot of making up to do to Manchester City. But in terms of a return to form and a return of the of the stardust back and the X Factor back to the Theatre of Dreams, that's exactly how it felt. And what a difference Paul Pogba made. Right. Anyone who's doubting him just needs to watch that 90 minutes at the weekend, really. Right. It's, he was kind of like the jaunty uncle who turns up and suddenly the mood is is, is lifted at the workhouse where they're all kind of yeah, labouring away. Well, you know? well, we joke about it, but it brings joy. Yeah. Genuinely, it makes Manchester United entertaining or more entertaining than normal. It makes Manchester United fun to watch. And even if it's dancing after after scoring goals or it's it's crazy haircuts or whatever he might bring, as well as his football... I think in his football, he's a really energetic player, he's an enthusiastic player, and he's a brave player as well. He wants the ball constantly, and he makes Manchester United do things that Manchester United can't do without him. His assist um, was remarkable, because he was on the corner of the penalty area. Not a great 
a place for a cross. And his evasive manoeuvres somehow saw him meander into the perfect crossing position, at which point he executed the perfect cross. It was like that, for anyone else, that was just getting out of a bit of trouble and he managed to, t- it was all, it just all looks so much more fluid when he's there. That's the dancing practice on Instagram, <laughs> basically. There, there is ha- some benefit to it. Paul Hazel asks, would Pogba get in Man City's team? <sighs> Ooh. Because there's been a contentious question over the weekend, who would get into whose team, no? But Pogba, Man yeah, City? Yeah, I think so. I think him and De Bruyne as a, as a two would be a really interesting partnership. I realise this will hurt you because it means David Silva will be dropped. But... Favourite player, isn't it? <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on board the Silva bandwagon. I'm squeezed on. But he'd um, also give them some height. Which is right. probably about the only thing they Pogba. lack. He, he's got everything. I think that that's the thing. He he doesn't just add one thing to to United when he plays. He adds a lot. Yeah, he, he brings, like I said before, he, he brings just this enthusiasm. When he's got the ball, people are making runs. That when he's not on the pitch, they're not making the same type of runs. People are uh, fullbacks are stretching wide. Wingers and, and forwards are, are making the sort of runs inside that they don't make when he's not there because they've got that faith that he will actually be able to find them. Whereas when he's not there, yes, they're not short of options in midfield. There is a lot of quality in there. But the type of passes he can make, the range of passing, the, the imagination that he has, they just don't have a player that's like that. One, one note of caution after this performance. Um, United are still uh, statistically the best team in the league. They've kept, kept the most clean sheets, conceded the least goals. But David De Gea is having to work hard, more, harder than any other toxic goalkeeper. He, he's made, I think, 37, 38 saves this season. Compare that to Edison at City. He's only had to make 16. So I think the, the defence, or certainly the defenders, are probably leakier than, than it, things might suggest. If you clear yeah. the ball outside the box, does it count as a save? Uh, it's just a shot on target that you stop. OK. So him rushing out, because he does a lot of that. I'm just wondering if that influences No, I don't think that does. Still. I don't think that okay. does. Um, the Zlatan reappearance, which probably wrongly I kind of regarded amongst everything else as a bit of a sideshow. Is it more <laughs> significant than that, Ian? It certainly wasn't a sideshow for the Manchester United supporters. I mean, if you listen to the ovation that that man got um, just when he walked out onto the field at the start of the game in his tracksuit, you know, this is before he's warmed up, before he's taken to the pitch or anything like that. His his return was just seen as this this major major thing for Manchester United fans, and of course they had respect for him anyway because of the character he is. That comes with the territory with Zlatan for his footballing ability. But I think for for the recovery that he's made, I mean there were some quotes after the game that he's uh, they kept a few of the details about his knee injury secret, and that actually it was far more serious than than what Manchester United or Zlatan had had made out. So there's just a level of respect there and excitement. And again, he brings those same sort of things. He brings that X factor. So the other thing he does, he puts some pressure on Lukaku, because now Lukaku knows that there there is a, a plausible chance that he could be dropped. All right, interesting. Um, and he responded with his first he, goal. He did, in, didn't he? In eight <laughs> Premier League games. Other statistical notes on this match. Uh, such was the party atmosphere, Ian, that they actually conceded a goal from open play for the first time in 2017 in the league. That's remarkable. This was also Rafa Benitez's heaviest defeat as a Premier League manager since March 2008, almost a decade. Ian, there was something else you wanted to throw in, I believe? You mentioned about Zlatan and Lukaku. There was a fantastic moment. In some ways, it was probably my favourite moment of the match. Uh, Zlatan comes onto the field. The first thing he does is run over right into the centre of the pitch and says, Romelu... This is my place. You go and play in the right wing. You you can chase the fullbacks. This is my area now, and that was just a, a really beautiful little moment. That I thought that was hilarious. All right, interesting. Man United, of course, are at Basel this week. I think they need one point 
to qualify themselves for the last 16. Ian, your weekend involved a trip to Leicester to see the other half yeah. of the Mancunian <laughs> It always picture. does. <laughs> mm. They were described by Murmuring Claude afterwards as, uh, this is City I'm talking about, well, Manchester City, as the, the best team in Europe. Oof. Here, were they the best or the luckiest, Strokes Beard? Well, <laughs> they were brilliant. There's, there's no getting away from how brilliant they were. They did have a big stroke of luck in the second minute um, when uh, Vicente Ibora played a through ball, released Vardy. Vardy was already up to top. He doesn't need more than half a yard to get to top speed. And company knew exactly what the situation was, stuck out a leg and took him down. Now, if it was a refereeing textbook and you had a picture of where everybody was, you could make the argument that there was cover but it's not a textbook, it's Vardy Vardy's so fast, it didn't matter that there were defenders in proximity there could have been defenders with a yard head start and they wouldn't have caught him so it's one of those, the referee's wrong and yet you can sort of you can see why. Okay. It's not like he's dropped a massive, massive clangor. It's just le- a hard one to call. Leicester battled hard, though, isn't it? And that, again, misfortune or whatever you want to call it, but they hit the post with Maguire and then within about eight seconds, they're 2-0 down. Well, this is the thing. I was really impressed with uh, the way that Claude Pure set them up. Um, they had Ibora, who's normally a defensive midfielder, as a kind of number 10 because they wanted him up top winning headers against Fernandinho. Every time Edison went to take a goal kick, and usually they do the short kicks, had the centre-backs go out to the side of the penalty area, there were three Leicester players man-marking and shutting down every passing lane so that he had to kick it long. Which again, City haven't got any height. There's no point in them kicking it long. So it was like Clopio obviously sat there for the whole international break thinking every possible thing he could do to shut them down. And they didn't have a shot on target all game. You're kidding. City were just, even after all of that work, City were just much, much better. Right. And, and Leicester, Leicester did nothing wrong. They worked really, really hard. So. But against that City side, I mean, you mentioned Kevin De Bruyne before, but... I mean, Lirosani, every time they go on the break, I expect him to get a ticket. He's that fast. <laughs> <laughs> He's lovely to watch run as well. Yeah. He's got a very pleasing, fluid gait. All right. How much... Here's one thing. We've got the derby coming up with Man United on the 10th of December, and they look like the only thing legitimately close to a rival for City right now, unless injuries take their toll, because Stone's going out here four to six weeks, Mendy's already out. How much could their injuries cost City? How much could Vincent Company's fitness cost City? Well, yeah, this is the Achilles heel that everyone's looking for, because people are in a hurry to crown Man City champions already, which is nonsense. There's a long, long way to go. They had Otamendi suspended, um, so it, it looked pretty bad already, because as soon as Stone comes off, who's been pretty much flawless this season, you're down to Vincent Company, who you don't really trust to play one game a week, let alone two. You've got Eloquin Mang Gala, who may have his strengths, but being a ball-playing centre-back really isn't one of them. After that, it's the the boy Tossin, um, who Guardiola used a bit in pre-season and has touched upon here and there, but doesn't seem to entirely trust. They're only really now, for however long John Stones is out, they're saying four to six weeks, but that does seem optimistic. Um, they're one injury away from, from being in a bit of a pickle. How how was the rest of company's performance? I, f- it, I find it quite tragic watching him play these days because you know how good he can be. And I thought it was almost quite unfair to lob him in against Vardy we, and we saw that <laughs> uh, early on. How, how was the rest of his game? The rest of his game was fine. Um, and the other thing, he, do, he, he communicates constantly with everyone around him. He has very high expectations. Um, you're not really allowed to switch off when he's there. He's, he's that multiplier defender on everybody else around him. And that's one of the reasons why they, they struggled last season is that they, they missed him so much. Otamendi and Stones both looked um, out of sorts and a, a little bit apprehensive. And as soon as company came back, everything was restored. So, yeah, 
him being fit is obviously a very good thing. It feels to me like Manchester City this season have, have evolved away from company a little bit more. Uh, last year, they, they badly missed him when he wasn't there. They really did need him um, to steady the ship because defensively, certainly in the first few months of the season, they struggled. Um, not not instantly because we had that fantastic, uh, was it 10 match on uh, winning streak. But after that, as soon as questions were beginning to be asked of that defence, they needed Vincent Company there to answer them for them. However... When it comes to Manchester City now, I feel like they have evolved away from company. They don't need him like they used to. Of course they will with John Stones out injured, but with Otamendi and Stones there and Edison, the way he started the season as well, with full-backs that they can rely on now too, it feels to me like they're... It's taken how many years? I don't know. Mm. But they're not, they're not that worried about Vincent Company pulling up with an injury anymore. Sometimes, Ian, you don't need the old company anymore. You just <laughs> evolve beyond it. Anyway, on that note... We'll take a quick break and then we're back with more exciting information from the wide world of football this weekend. Producer Ben here, people. And you know, I was talking to our friend Raphael Honigstein recently and he was telling me when it comes to cars, he drives a BMW. When it comes to sausage, it's got to be Bratwurst. When it comes to pudding, it's Black Forest Gatto. And when it comes to stubble, he is all about Cornerstone. Why? It's all about the German engineering, of course. Cornerstone super sharp blades are made in the fatherland, so you know you're getting the absolute best. And right now, you can pick up a personally engraved razor and six super sharp blades delivered right to your door for just £4. All you have to do is head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Ian, you were just asking about French football. What's the situation there? Of course, Paris Saint-Germain taking on Celtic this week. That'll be fun for... For Celtic, PSG coming off a 4-1 win over Claudio Ranieri's Nantes. Uh, two goals from Cavani. He's got 15 goals in 13 games this season, has Edson Cavani. And Celtic actually struggled past Ross County um, at the weekend. They needed a, a Lee Griffiths free kick very late on. Right. Paris Saint-Germain are now six points clear of Monaco, Benji, to save you asking. Monaco only drew 1-1 with Lille Amiens. Uh, Lille, who, uh, of, of course, are Marcelo Bielsa's outfit these days are still in the bottom three but they did get a win this weekend against Saint-Étienne which is nice Germany talked about Dortmund before oh my word they were top do you remember when Juppanks retook over by Munich from Carlo Ancelotti Dortmund were top they are now fifth they've had four defeats in the last five Bayern have won all eight games in all the competitions under Heinkers. Uh, this weekend it was 3-0 against Augsburg another two goals from Lewandowski is on 13 goals for the season, so those are Cavani-esque numbers. But I'm not quite sure at which point Peter Bosch is going to go, but it does seem like it's a matter of time. They've got a rotten run of fixtures coming up. Let me just find it here. They've got a rotten run of fixtures coming up. Of course, Spurs at home uh, this midweek, then Schalke, who have gone into second place, then Leverkusen, then they've got Real Madrid. <laughs> Ooh. Sounds like they could do with some kind of manager there to you know, really reorganise the defence, wear a baseball cap and the rest Ooh. of the club shop. If only one was available. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so it's uh, Borussia Dortmund taking on Spurs, a game that Dortmund absolutely have to win. That's midweek. Real Madrid, meantime, who got beaten by Spurs last time out, will be going to Apple Nicosia, the self-same Apple side, who, of course, held Dortmund to a 1-1 draw, to everyone's great surprise, in the last match day in Germany. Remarkable, remarkable. Now, returning to the exciting Premier League, we did all that... West Brom, Tony Pulis stuff at the top. But what we didn't touch on was the magnitude of Chelsea's performance, which I, I think deserves a, a little bit of a, a doffing of cap. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Conte's tweaked the formation again. Um, he's gone from the three-four-three to uh, sort of three-five-one-one kind of thing. Basically, mm. he's put another midfielder in there, okay, um, to stop them uh, stop them getting flooded so easily. And it, uh, be fair, it seems to be working. Uh, what, what is also working is the fact that Eden Hazard is um, up to top speed now. And I that- blame Gareth Barry completely for the defeat at the weekend because. He made Edin angry, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. And and once Edin's angry, Edin does that, and he was absolutely instrumental in that victory, of course, for Chelsea. You're joking, but you're also you 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 you're buying into that theory that Edin's not always that bothered, but if you get him bothered, it's going to be bother for you. Yeah, I think he was definitely bothered at the weekend. Mm. Whether there's moments where he's not as bothered, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. But looking at the way he got angry after not getting getting that free kick from from the challenger Gareth Barry, I mean. I think opposition players will look at that in the future and maybe just put an arm around him and apologise. Ed, and it's okay, <laughs> mate. I'm really Good for sorry. A point after the game, yeah, eh? exactly. There was a real sneer about his performance, wasn't there? It was, it was great to watch. Yeah, and maybe you don't see that enough from Eden Hazard. And when you see him produce that sort of display, you know mm. what he's capable of. And uh, yeah, don't make Eden angry. That's quite difficult to say, that isn't it? <laughs> wow. Um, do you remember when everyone was saying about Fabregas and he seemed a little bit of a kind of bit part player? They'd wheel him out for the odd occasion at Chelsea. Now, yeah. I mean, he's become kind of Conte's second peeler almost. Yeah, stick to hard-working, quick, mobile uh, midfielders around him and he doesn't have, to, doesn't have to do all that legwork. Do you remember that amazing stat from last season about Spanish goals at Chelsea? Did you see this? About how Chelsea have more goals from Spanish players than anyone in the Liga? I mean, this is actually... Almost entirely true that it was updated this weekend from Marca. Um, this season they've scored more, they've had more Spanish goals than 19 teams in La Liga. Wow. 19. The one Spanish side bucking the trend are Real Sociedad. Aren't they all Basque? Oh, oh yeah, that's an interesting question actually. Political. Murky waters, Benji. <laughs> the players, the players. <laughs> I think, from Marcus' point of view, very much a Madrid publication. They're all Spanish. Right, sure, sure. On pain of you know legal <laughs> detention. Uh, very good. Right. Anyway, now we were talking about Chelsea, but there's another London side out there who've been in the news of late, Benji, and it's your team. Yes. West Ham. Thank goodness for new manager bounce, or imagine how badly this would have gone for you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was in many ways quite a touching tribute to Slaven Bilic's West Ham for Moyes. Mm. Yesterday, a lot of the hallmarks were, were there. Um, the, what what the, are the hallmarks? Well, there was the very well-documented problem with indiscipline and Andy Carroll, I think, within six seconds had smashed a Watford defender's face in. Um, there, there's also the kind of tactical confusion that was a hallmark of Bilic. Uh, if the plan was to, to lob the ball up to Andy Carroll, it didn't quite work because he wasn't always there. He right. has this infuriating habit of just wandering around and chasing the ball. Arms waving. Yeah, well, quite. He loves it. And then... Lanzini, who who is our best player, he is the player around whom we should build the team, lobbed out on the wing to make way for three defensive midfielders. So yeah, it was it was a bit of a mess. And in the other dugout, here's what you could have had. I thought Watford were fantastic. They're they're incredibly well drilled. Every player knows what they have to do. It means they're more than the sum of their parts, which mm. is kind of the opposite with West Ham. Richarlison was a handful, and Decore I thought was fantastic. He's been every time I've seen him this season, he's been incredibly impressive. He he, cha- he, he changes defence into attack. He tackles. He passes, he shoots. Really impressive, and, and we were quite the opposite. What you could have had on on the Watford bench and what Everton might still have, what's what's the word on that, Ian? They still want him, definitely. Um, they've tried to ask Watford to name the price as well, and that's not quite worked, but 
it depends how high the money's going to go, I suppose, in compensation for him because uh, they've looked elsewhere. It's been well documented. It's been well drawn out as well from Everton's perspective. Not gone exactly how they envisaged, I don't think. I mean, if you think now it's been... It's been going on for, what, about six weeks, if you include the time where they were probably considering Cumin's future. So I'm sure everyone at Everton would, would have hoped by now to have a man in place. But yeah, very much now, he's the top target. There has been some word that they're going to speak again this week with Watford to try and to try and sort this situation out. And it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. I mean, obviously his record um, in Greece and, and Portugal is excellent. His record in England, he's made a mark certainly with Watford. He improved a, a very poor Hull side. But he didn't manage to keep them up, and I think there's still major question marks over Marco well, there's Silva. There's only about three of them. But no, I th- he he did a lot with Hull, mm. but he didn't do enough with Hull. Now, maybe no one could have done enough with Hull with the situation they were in. But if you look at Watford this year, he went to Everton a couple of weeks back. They were 2-0 up, and they lost 3-2. In terms of an audition, that wasn't ideal. They've been beaten by Manchester City 6-0 at home this year as well, which, yes, Manchester City can do that. I'm sure they'll do it to other teams before the end of the year. But his star has risen incredibly. He's not even been in England for a year yet. So Mm. despite him being maybe the clear choice for Everton at this moment, I still think it's a gamble. Yeah, we're we're easily seduced by kind of sexy Portuguese types on attractive outerwear. It's it's a young Mourinho, isn't it? That's immediately the, the sort of opinion that everyone seems to have. And he may prove to be that, but... It's still early days, I think, for Silver. All right. Poor, poor At- Sean Dyche, though. There's been a word at some point in Sean Dyche's ear, and then he sat there for two weeks reading stories about Sam Allardyce and then Silver and £10 million offers. He must be like, the hell did I... Sorry. What the hell did I do in my job interview? Right. That's spooky. terrible. Yeah, it's like he's in the room, isn't it? Very, very much like that. Uh, let's return to West Ham, Benji, because it's, it's uh, early days in the Moyes' reign... Uh, but nothing positive that you saw from Sunday's performance? <laughs> Not really. I think Andy Carroll's going to play a big part either way. He's he's sort of been the devil sitting on West Ham's shoulder for the last three or four years. And everyone knows that West Ham have got this sort of quixotic obsession with playing football the West Ham way. And yet, when Andy Carroll plays, it's very much the Andy Carroll way. And and sometimes it can be incredibly effective and and, and uh, you know Andy Carroll at full speed is one of the most terrifying sights I think a Premier League defender can encounter mm. um, but when it doesn't work you get what you saw yesterday which was you know not only ugly but ineffective and I think uh, it's resisting the Carroll temptation will, will be a real test for David Moyes All right. How excited are you about the transfer window? I mean, I don't necessarily think we've got a problem with personnel. If anything, we've got a similar problem to Everton in that we've we've got a handful of really good attacking players. We just don't know what configuration to play them in. And Antonio's coming back. Hernandez wasn't playing yesterday. Mm. I think one of the big question marks is is what we do with Mark Noble because. He is so lovable, and he is the heart and soul of West Ham. He's definitely not good enough to get into our in, into our first eleven anymore. Um, uh, Obiang and Kiate are much better, um, but he's a leader. You know, you were talking early on about how important it is to have that leader on the pitch, and he is, f- you know, way ahead of anyone else at the club. But I think that bandage might need to be ripped off quite soon. Okay, uh, we had uh, Dr. Tom Markham on the other day suggesting that West Ham. Uh, are a club that would suffer relegation much worse than others because of the total lack of assets there. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it would it would destroy us. And, and you know, it, to some extent, I think 
you know, since moving to the Olympic Stadium, I, I don't like it at all. You don't? But no, not, not, not at all. I, I sometimes want, worry that I'm becoming one of these kind of Trumpian, Brexiteer nostalgists that think that everything in the past was wonderful and, and everything in the present is rubbish. Mm. But I just wish our stadium was rectangular. And, 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 and on top of that, I think that a lot of West Ham fans, when, when we went there, thought, mm. you know, maybe this is the beginning of the Man City experience. You know, right. you, you know, they lost Main Road, but they gained world-class footballers, league titles, Champions League football. If anything, the West Ham experience has been the exact opposite. We turned up at the Olympic Stadium with a Dimitri Payet, and within six months, he was gone. And then 12 months after that, we've got the bloke that relegated Sunderland as our manager. So, yeah, it's not quite going to plan at the moment. I see. Ian, you divide your time largely between a rectangular and an oval ground. Do you? Yeah. Share Benji's uh, affinity for the the, the, the square corners. I, I love that. You know that does that not encompass the pain that football fans go through? They've actually considered the shape of the stadium <laughs> as a consideration for things that are going wrong. That's how deeply people are looking into things. I personally don't have a preference. You don't. Just put it out there. As long as the corners are filled in, I'm a fan of corners being filled in. Bad. If it is a rectangular ground, Bad. absolutely. You can get a rounded corner. Like I, I sort of accept that. A lot of medium to, to large football clubs are eventually going to sort of march into this multiplex future. But right. you look at, you know, the, the King Power. There, there's a new stadium that's rectangular with curved corners. St. Mary's, same thing. Mm. Like, it is entirely possible, annoyingly Spurs are doing it, to build a modern football stadium that's all right. Yeah. But obviously the Olympic Stadium just very much isn't that. It's not a football stadium. Yeah, and it doesn't even have like a glass tunnel or a cheese room. <laughs> <laughs> so... I'm not sure. We did, we did have this with Manchester City, though, when they first moved to what was then the city of Manchester Stadium, what's now the Etihad Stadium. There were the same sort of issues. You speak to some Manchester City fans now, and they're still not satisfied with how the club is. And, I mean, look at the team. The team is an absolute privilege to watch week in, week out. And that's even if you're not a Manchester City fan. The type of football that they've been playing so far is on a different planet, really. Mm. They've been incredible. But, yeah, if you speak to some of their supporters, they're not happy. They hark back to the same sort of things. You know, they ha- they're harking back to having a, a stand called the Kipper and uh, a lady that rings a bell and things like that. You know, this is the type of sort of fan culture that was established over over decades past between fathers and sons and grandfathers and all that. And when they first came to the, the city of Manchester Stadium, it just got levelled out completely. Someone just pressed zero almost and, and it's taken time to, to build it up. It didn't happen overnight for City either. Of course, the change of owners helped inject money and, and inject everything else as well. Uh, and it's taken them on to this level now. But it did take them time. I think the change of owners bit is quite important there. It does feel a little bit like that's what West Ham need now. A lot of decisions that our board have made recently has felt like you know a, a team of people whose knowledge of football was suspended in sort of 2012. The idea of getting in Joe Hart, but oh, he's England's number one, get him in. He's not actually that much better than Adrian. And then in terms of you know the, the managerial appointment, um, getting in David Moyes and the, you know the promising young England under 21 manager Stuart Pearce alongside him and Alan Irving. I mean he's good, isn't he? No, all of these things were true in 2012. And mm. I think we probably need uh, either someone who, who understands the game better or just someone with loads of money, right. much like Owners City had. who are not dressed like they're reviewing a May Day parade. I feel <laughs> it would be a, a, a step forward. But why is it that West Ham are not being snapped up by some... Asian colossus. There's been lots of talk. I mean, it's worth saying that Golden Sullivan did save West Ham. You know, the, the, the situation we were in when they came in, 
Um, it was the it was the bankrupt Icelandic billionaire. So they have taken us a long way, but I think they might have hit their ceiling now. And I'd lo- I'd mm. love to see either either some younger uh, you know a younger team in there who who are do understand the nuances of modern football maybe a little bit better than they do, or yeah somebody I mean, there's been Qataris interested certainly. All right, although you don't need money necessarily as we've seen previously. I was going to say Leicester. Obviously, there's a certain amount of cash behind them, but Burnley. Burnley, who are well, still seventh, but now what is it? One point off the top four, and level on points with Arsenal and Liverpool. Four points off second. Four points off second. Burnley. All right, and doing goals like that sweeping move for their yeah. second at the weekend. Yeah, this is this is no more the um, grim-faced wet Wednesday night long ball kind of stuff. They're they're playing good football. They fully deserve to beat Swansea. Could easily have beaten them by more, though. Right. Swansea's weaknesses are another story. They are, aren't they? They've changed Burnley. Jack Cork's changed them in many ways. He's allowed them to play different ways, brought a different dimension to their play, certainly going forward. Um, people will mention it all season because of the goal that it was, but the goal that they scored at Everton, I think, was 24 passes. Now, for long ball Burnley, that's not bad. I don't think any of them are long balls either in that particular move. The goal at the weekend that Jack Cork scored against Swansea as well, um, which just illustrates my point very nicely, uh, that was, again, a lovely sweeping piece of football that any team in the country would be proud of so I do think that Sean Dice has looked at the criticism that Burnley had despite their success or relative success last season and has, and has brought a, a different style uh, to Turf Moor this year and one that the players certainly seem to be embracing as well. That's nice. Six clean sheets in the last nine and Benji you are bursting to <laughs> yes. tell us about your stat about Ben Me and Tarkovsky. What's ten- Tarkovsky's first name? Is it James? Is it? James. Yeah. Um, uh, this might not be that exciting. But they are, um, you know, they're quietly becoming one of the best centre-back partnerships in the league. Uh, and Ben Mee, despite being only 5'11", has won the second most aerial duels in the, in the Premier League. And Tarkovsky has made the second highest number of clearances. However, they are both second to the same player. Who do you think it is? Is it Curtis Davis? It's not. <laughs> it's not Scott Dan. Clue, he's, he's not yet played this weekend. Oh, he's at Brighton. Oh, is it Dunk? It's Duffy. Duffy. Ah, it's Duffy. Duffy. And Duffy's only 25. I don't know why in my head Duffy was like a gnarled 34-year-old, but he's not. I think he was playing very, very young for Everton yeah, in the way for right. cup games. Yeah, you would have right. seen his name a long time ago. OK. That's a great stat, Benji. Nice. Um, is Sean Dyche going to be there in January at Turf Moor? I don't know. I don't know. Anyone has it a guess? Well, I think it's clear that if the right move came in, he would go. He's would, not exactly nailed him, uh, like lashed himself to the wheel, has no. he? No. But would we all like him to still be there? Well, he's Burnley's most successful manager since Harry Potts. So, you know, there, there would be an argument just to say, oh, just stay there, build an empire, let that, let that be your club. But equally, you know, the guy wants to go and test himself. He could not have done any more at Burnley. He's done more than anybody could reasonably expect. What would disappoint me? If he took the Everton job, I think everyone at Burnley would go, fair play, good luck, um, you'll always be welcome back here. Hmm. If he took the West Brom job Yikes. on the basis that it might be a slightly bigger salary and a little bit more in the transfer budget, I don't think people would be quite as understanding about that. Mm, fair enough. I wonder if his style is, is, is so welded to Burnley that, that leaving might actually, you know, it could be a mistake. We saw what happened with Eddie Howe when he briefly left left Bournemouth and, yeah. and went to Burnley ironically it just didn't work out so it'd be very interesting to see if, if, if Sean Dyche can transpose what he's done at Burnley anywhere else yeah. he, wants, he wants to prove that now though I think he's at a stage in his managerial career now where he'd like to see himself he'd like to try that himself and see exactly how that works because a lot of people are very quick to say you know that's you that's Burnley 
he's at the Allardyce I could manage Real Madrid stage of his career now. <laughs> if I was known as Daichinho. I've got to say, if I was, a, if I was running Burnley, um, I would be using this weird hiatus of Everton's to sign them up to a very, very big money contract. Because right. a new manager comes in, they're going to have to spend money bringing in their own players. Just get them on six million a year or something. Are Burnley going to beat Arsenal at Turf Moor next weekend? Benji? It would, yes, it would be no. quite fitting, yes. Yes, Ian? Uh, Arsenal to win by another controversial, very late offside oh. goal. And right. handball. You missed handball, handball sorry, like that yeah. as well, yeah. Ian? I think they'll draw. OK. I don't want to sit on the fence, but yeah. It feels to me like this is uh, this is a game where... You know, we all say, oh, Arsenal will do this and do that. But I think it'd be quite even, actually, because Burnley have been good at home, to be fair to them. And they are seventh in the league. It's not like Arsenal are going to Crystal Palace or Swansea at the weekend. Yeah, indeed not. Hey, we're going to Palace uh, in a minute or two's time when we'll be discussing what happened in their clash with, with Everton. We might find time for a quick word about Callum Wilson as well and find out the latest from the ongoing no World Cup for Italy fallout and that kind of thing. So see you after this. Tweet us at The Totally Football Show. Find us on Facebook and check us out at thetotallyfootballshow.com. Ian, you've got the Football League show coming up on Tuesday. Yeah. I bet Chris Coleman's going to be a big part of that. Well, not a big part because we like to be club focused. Okay. So we're going on Preston and Scunthorpe and Forest Green. It's right. their, their turn this week. But yeah, we'll have a little chat about it because it's a very interesting recruitment. We are standing on the edge of a cliff is what he said at his uh, opening press conference at the Stadium of Light. <laughs> Way to raise the spirits, eh? <laughs> yeah, well... Is that just something new Sunderland managers have to say? Yeah, I don't know. Um, what can we uh, discuss <clears throat> quickly about the Championship? Uh, all as you were at the top, no Wolves and Sheffield United both winning. Sunderland actually got a point at home to Millwall this weekend, didn't they? But they still set a new record. One of the most goalkeeper errors in one no, single game of football. team in English football not to win in 20 home matches. Ah, yeah. They, it was, if you get a chance to see the goals, it's extraordinary. I honestly think the score would have been lower if neither team had played a goalkeeper. <laughs> it, was, um, it, it was unbelievable. But, you know, a point's a point at this stage of the season. Um, one of the biggest stories of the weekend was uh, Middlesbrough-Leeds, or Leeds-Middlesbrough, I should oh. say. Gary Monk, having left Leeds to go to Middlesbrough, goes back to Ellen Road and obviously... Obviously, Leeds win, ending a terrible run of form and lifting themselves uh, up to seventh. Level oh, wow. And points with Borough. So that was a big one there. But yeah, Wolves and Sheffield United continue to plough forward. Cardiff won again as well. So there's very much a, a big three in that division. More on Tuesday. I hope you're going to be discussing or, or at least sparing a word for Luton, who had another seven-goal haul this weekend. This was against Cambridge. They have now scored how many goals? Uh, that is the third time that they've scored seven goals in a game, which no football league team has ever done wow. um, at this period of the season uh, it's also worth mentioning one of those goals was 70 yards from one of Rob Lee's children um, who scored two the other one of Rob Lee's children in the team he also scored two and uh, Sorry, Benji, when you say 70 yards you mean he kicked it from 70 yards out yeah. very much yeah, inside brilliant. his own half and still short of the centre circle good lord um, and uh, and Steve Potts Benji was telling me Steve Potts's son was the Potts on the score sheet as well so there you go three spawn of hammers in there for Luton Luton <laughs> <laughs> League Two is a strange league. The quality's not not really very high, but whenever you watch Luton, they look a cut above everybody else. Notts County are probably the most consistent organised side, but Luton look really good. Luton, Tootin, Luton have 43 goals in 18 games. Have a bang on that, Paris Saint-Germain. In the Bostic... They'll be worried. They're coming. The Hatters. Yes. Mm. Uh, on the show as well tomorrow, we've got Dean Gripton, the legend. Have you heard of Dean Gripton? 
you will have done if you played Football Manager or its previously named incarnation. He's right. the chief scout of Football Manager. And oh. they, they used to hide him in the game. If you could hire him, he would be the best scout in the game because he was in charge of putting all the numbers together. Right. And he basically spends his life going around doing youth team games, reserve games, all over the country, checking that all the numbers are right. Dean Gripton. Yeah, so he'll be in the studio tomorrow. Okay. You probably won't touch on the Bostic Premier League, will you? It's a little out of our remit. Okay, but Benji, it's very much where your attention's focused right now because of Dulwich Hamlets. Yeah, my my company, Pickfair, we we sponsor Dulwich Hamlet. Um, And for for those of your listeners that aren't familiar with Dulwich Hamlet, um, it's the seventh tier of English football. They're based in South London, and they've developed a bit of a cult following over the last four or five years because they're known to be a really progressive side, socially conscious, quite politically liberal. But more than anything else, it's just a really good day out. They're regularly getting 1,500 people down there. Mm. They've had gates of 2,500 this season, which is more than you'll get at some League Two sides. But yeah, they're currently in a bit of trouble. All right. Despite all of this, they may not exist for for much longer. Yeah, right. So they are wedged in the middle of a dispute between the property developer who owned their stadium and the land around it and Southwark Council. So I think the deal was, or the plan was, when the developers bought the, the assets three years ago, they, they would um, uh, build a big housing development on, on the site and build Dulwich Hamlet, a new stadium next door. When it came to them putting the application in, they didn't quite include enough social housing in the application. I think they thought, hey, we're, you know, we're maintaining a local community asset. Surely you can throw us a bone here. Southwark Council said no. The developers, Meadow, have now cut Dulwich Hamlet adrift, and it's really hand-to-mouth there at the moment. Oh, because they've got, I think, quite a large operating budget. Not that big. It's nothing no. compared to um, uh, Billericay Town, who right. are in the same league. They're, they're the kind of evil empire to Dulwich Hamlet's light. <laughs> um, but yeah, they. It, I think it's around about £5,000 a week, which is not huge. It, it, it's, a, it's a fair amount for the seventh tier yeah. of English football. So what what's happening at the moment? How how are Dulwich you know trying to fight? Uh, basically, they, they may lose their ground and then. I, I think this will. There's there's the way it could get resolved is if uh, Southwark Council and developers just sort this out because there is a scenario in which everybody wins. Mm. There's a new housing block, so the developers are happy. There's enough um, social housing, so so that Southwark Council can say they're championing, uh, you know. Uh, sustainable housing and Dulwich Hamlet get a new stadium or somebody comes along and just buys the lot um, and, and, and resubmits the application with the right amount of social housing totally Dulwich Hamlet has a ring to it doesn't it <laughs> um, you, but you sponsor their shirt yeah that's right and, did you just not sponsor it for more um, yeah, but we've kind of blown the budget with that. We, oh, al- right. we also have sponsored the Toilets Opposite stand, which is the um, the stand facing the main stand there. It's called the Toilets Opposite yeah, stand. Yeah, well, we named it the Toilets Opposite stand. It's always been unofficially known as that because there's a sign saying Toilets Opposite, blue tack to the back of the stand. Okay. Uh, and to sort of curry favour with the fans, when we announced our sponsorship, we also unveiled the Toilets Opposite stand. Nice. If you were to go the whole hog, though, Benji, and find that extra money, you could build the most rectangular stadium oh. of all time. Well, I think this is part of what attracts me to Dulwich Hamlet. It's, it's, a, it's a very different type of... Of football to the, the megadrome of the Olympic Stadium. Right. With rounded corners, I presume, as well. You'd include that in the plans. Well, in the, in non-league games, they were playing... Um, th- that league is very fun because you've got Billericay Town, you've also got uh, the Met Police. Um, you beat this weekend Beat them 4-1. Take that, coppers. And um, you, get, you get some amazing chants in games against the Met. So there was... Um, yeah, repressive. Stay apparatus. Stay apparatus. At the uh, right. at the the four visiting <laughs> metropolitan police fans. Oh, nice. um, yeah, yeah, it's good fun. You arrested their progress, <laughs> etc. And so on. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, uh, fingers crossed, eh? And if anybody wants to get in touch 
to help out with Dulwich Hamlet, the Google Dulwich Hamlet. Be the That'll be thing. lots of things. You can buy kits. You can. There's lots of um, crowdfunding campaigns now to help right. pay the players' wages. So you can you can chip in there as well. Okay. Do you can you name a stand? Are there any stands left for naming? Yeah. Get in contact with Liam Hickey. The, How much the, would that cost? Um, I, I, undisclosed, but not much. <laughs> you can you could uh, actually. To be honest, there's no stands left. They've only got two. But you could sponsor something. There's definitely something you could sponsor there. So, okay. so maybe the totally football goal nets or corner flags. The toilets adjacent stand. There you the go. Toilet. Toilet. Adjacent stand. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. I think that's chipping away at our brand. <laughs> <laughs> what have we not discussed so far this weekend? Well, Palace played Everton. It was a two-two draw. Here's a fact for you: Palace have collected five points from their opening twelve Premier League games. Only once has a side survived relegation. With five points or fewer at this stage, I think it'll be twice by the end of the season. Do you reckon? I think they're going to stay up. Um, that's not the first time I've watched Palace this season and thought they're they're going to be all right. Um, mm. They were very good against Tottenham as well. They're really unlucky here. Um, they they hit Everton straight away, and then they lost their lead to a highly controversial penalty, which Umer the Nias one. <clears throat> yeah, Nias. I think it was a penalty. What? I think it was a penalty. Do you? Yeah. I- I think just if saying. he'd put a springboard just inside the penalty area, he couldn't have made his intentions more obvious. Well, opinions in opinions. opinions. Right? Here's something that's a fact. Leighton Baines has now scored 20 Premier League penalties. Very impressive. Oh. Yeah. Only one defender has ever scored more. His manager. It's his manager, yeah. You knew that. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Uh, Bournemouth, Callum Wilson. Oh, Callum oh. Wilson, heartwarming. heartwarming. That's the story of the weekend, isn't he? <laughs> this, yeah. you know, we, all, we all get excited about Zlatan Ibrahimovic doing what he did. But this guy's come back from two serious knee injuries. I, I was under the impression that it was the same knee, but it wasn't. It no. was, the first one was his left and the second was his right. So Bournemouth come up and in their, I think pretty much their first game, he scores a hat-trick. Yeah, against West Ham. Against West yeah. Ham. And, and then immediately gets knocked down once, comes back from that, gets knocked down again, comes back, and in his second game back, another hat-trick. He's a one-man yeah. chumba-wumba song. <laughs> but he's, uh, that, that's fantastic. Fantastic stuff from Callum Wilson. How old is he? Well, be mid-twenties. I don't think he's that yeah. old, is he? Mm. He was early twenties when all like this that. started. Yeah, the thing with Callum Wilson is... A lot of people, when Bournemouth first came up to the Premier League, were getting excited about him and talking about him in terms of getting into the England squad as well. Now, obviously, these two injuries have, have, have really curtailed his career in the last couple of years. But when you make that sort of comeback from, from those sorts of setbacks, then you do wonder what the, what the level he can reach is because he's not really had a run of it yet in the Premier League. And we're talking about a player scoring two hat-tricks already, so... Yeah. Bournemouth, by God, they needed goals because that was um, fifty more than fifty percent of their goals scored this season already in one day. You're kidding? No, they've only they'd only got seven before Saturday. Conversely, Huddersfield, I felt really sorry for them in this game. They actually had way more possession, double the amount of chances, and more expected goals. They just need a striker up there to put them to put them away. I think that could be the difference between Huddersfield staying up and going down. Benji, a few facts for you. Huddersfield haven't actually scored an away goal since the opening day of the season. They've had 47 shots. Chief culprit might well be a certain Tom Ince. No player in the Premier League has had more shots without scoring than young Tom, 30 so far mm-hmm. Liverpool we never talked about Liverpool tell you what we'll do that after this first I'm going to sneak in Italian news Ian Irving fallout continues mm. from Italy's failure to get past Sweden and into the next World Cup 
Carlo Tavecchio, who'd refused to resign, he's the head of the Italian FA, then did this bizarre interview with this kind of satirical uh, news show called uh, The Hyenas, in which he pretty much burst into tears after being pressed about the, you know, the, the, his responsibilities. He said, it's not my responsibility, it's a technical failure, it's a technical failure. I didn't even want Ventura. And then they kind of probed him about who might be... The, you know the, the the next person, and bizarrely he played hot or colder with them. So they said they said <laughs> Carlo Ancelotti said no nah, lukewarm lukewarm, <laughs> and then when they said Antonio Conte he said hot hot. What? It's just bizarre, isn't it? Anyway, it's a very much a festering wound, and it wasn't helped. Indeed, this reopens the wounds. Was exactly what the Gazzetta della Sport said about Saturday night's game between Napoli and Milan because. Possibly Italy's most technically gifted player, Lorenzo Insigne, who was left on the bench throughout the whole of that must-win game against the Swedes, the second leg, only got 15 minutes played out of position in the first, was the subject of that De Rossi touchline rant, what the hell are you putting me on for, put on Insigne. Um, he played this game, was absolutely fantastic. Napoli beat Milan 2-1. It was a busy weekend for results, all sorts of things to talk about. We'll do that in depth on on Thursday with the Horn, but I must just uh, just add that Roma won the derby, Against Lazio, a Lazio team who'd won nine straight coming into this. Nangolan was was brilliant. And, well, two things. Juventus lost, first loss in the league this season. They were 3-0 down away to Sampdoria. They'd rested a bunch of players, uh, Dybala to begin with, uh, Barzali, Buffon as well didn't start. They had um, Chesney in goal. They they managed with, with two goals after the 90 pretty much, they managed to pull it back to 3-2. So it looked like they were on for some crazy... Uh, comeback, but uh, that means they've now dropped to third place. You've got Napoli on 35 points, Inter two points behind them, and two points behind them are Juventus, with then Roma in fourth in the last of the prospective Champions League positions, and then Lazio and Samp, Milan are away back. As for Benevento, who you will recall in the 12 previous matches had not picked up a single point, equaling Man United's historic record from the 1930s. This weekend, they were taking on a Sassuolo team on an awful run of results. James Horncastle said, here we go, Benevento are going to get their first points. With 90 minutes on the clock, it was 1-1 and they were heading for a draw. And then Sassuolo got a penalty. (gasps) But they missed it. But then, in the 94th minute, Federico Peluso popped up with a header and took the win. Yes. So still... The Witches of the South. <laughs> well, they're now record breakers, that's something. Yeah, they're record breakers. And, you know, how long is this going to go on for? Don't know. Anyway, that's all very exciting. Roma have a very big game in the Champions League. They're at Atletico Madrid. That's in Chelsea's group. Of course, Benji. I've got a, a Serie A question for oh. you. Um, Icardi scored twice yeah. again last night. I'm not sure I fully understand what type of striker he is. If you had to compare him to a Premier League striker or someone that we'd, that we'd know about maybe a little bit better, is, is it speed? Is it, is it finishing? No, I think poaching. I think there's a touch of the Inzaghi's about him. But, um, I mean, there's more to him than that. He's, got, he's technically way better than Inzaghi, who I think Roberto Di Matteo famously described how everyone burst into, into laughter when Inzaghi first went to the national side hmm. and you know they took part in one of those little rondinelli where they kicked the football back and forth and he had no touch and, and Dimitri just went, he's not a footballer and yet he was. Um, but no, Incardi's a, I mean, he's a talented player. He's got, I think, more... Has he got more pace than Inzaghi? I'm not sure, but he's definitely somebody with a great gift for getting in the right spot and, and putting stuff away. Two headers this weekend. He's, he's a fantastic header of the ball, so... You know what we need? 
What do we need? We need an Italian football show, don't well, we? Well, where are you going to get one of those from? Yeah. In Spain, because Juve have Barcelona. Juve having got beaten by Sampdoria, they've got Barcelona in the Champions League. Barcelona, who saw Real Madrid fall further behind this weekend. They won at Leganes, and uh, whereas Real Madrid only managed a nil-nil draw away to Atletico in the Madrid derby. Valencia won, though. They've now won eight straight matches. And guess who's playing Barcelona next? Valencia, who are only four points behind them. So that could get really interesting. Barcelona, by the way, will have PK suspended for that. So, hmm, hey, big. Like their constitution. Hmm? Whoa, <laughs> Benji, Jesus. boom. Um, there's only one game that we haven't discussed. Liverpool, they beat Southampton and Salah's amazing. Yeah, first goal was wonderful. That's the the kind of goal that when you've got a team sitting deep and blocking up, you need something like that. And then the second goal was the other part of his game, not just really quick runs, but really clever runs getting in. And uh, he's he's been absolutely fantastic, arguably one of the signings of the season. Oh, and, yeah, uh, what a steal as well. Yeah, and, and those games can be so difficult for Liverpool. They're, they're the sort of games that always frustrate them. They faced Southampton four times last season, Ian. As you know, they didn't score a single goal. Well, there you go. Mm. Did they didn't, time, didn't have Salah then. That Salah first goal, I hadn't seen him score a goal like that. Or maybe in Italy he was scoring them all the time. But I think I've now seen Salah score every type of goal already mm-hmm. for Liverpool. It's incredible. The really impressive thing about Salah as well is he's not just scoring these goals, but he's getting all the openings, all the opportunities. He's constantly a threat. He's constantly something that the opposition defence really have to consider in every moment of every match. And he's scored nine in 12 goals in the Premier League mm. so far. Uh, and I think that's actually better than than any start that uh, a Liverpool player has made you know in the it Premier is, League. You, you know it is. You know it beats <laughs> Robbie Fowler. Did I say I think? Yeah, I was about to come in with uh, Robbie Fowler's little uh, record as well. But I don't want to exaggerate it too much. But he could have actually scored double that considering yeah. the number of openings he had. And if we go back to the game against Manchester City, which of course was 5-0 and we all know how it went. Mo Salah was causing Nicolas Otamendi no end of problems down the right-hand side for Liverpool and it was two or three openings that he created that were were the closest thing that either team came to opening the scoring before Sadio Mane's red card. And I wonder, actually, at the end of the season, when we look back at how the title was won and lost, I wonder how big a moment that Mane red card was because City that day looked how they've not looked in any other match this season, which is beatable. Very interesting. Saints look in trouble, by the way. They've only had one win in five. Everton on Sunday, before the end of the year, Ian, they've got Arsenal, City, Chelsea, United and Spurs away. That's a run that will get them out of trouble, no problem at all. Not with Shane Long playing up front, who hasn't scored since February. Well, we saw Charlie Austin come back into it and we wonder how important he'll maybe be in the coming weeks. But I think we're right. I think you're right. I think... I think there's a real lack of identity at the moment with Southampton. We don't yet know the type of football that Pellegrino wants to play there, I don't think. No, they've, they're just not scoring goals. Only three on the road all season, only nine in total. And yeah, they've had some relatively straightforward games at the beginning of the season. Enough kind of comfort zone games where you think you step up and grab a few points. And I think they're going to pay for that. Mm. Or perhaps their manager is. Mm. We shall see. Anyway... That brings us pretty much to the end of this edition of The Totally Football Show, which you can find on Twitter at The Totally Show. And on Facebook. Go on. The Totally Football Show and even on Instagram. Instagram. At Totally Football Show. I get it. It's all there. Um, well, where can people find you if they want to tweet <coughs> pictures of footballers with cups of tea? Just my name, Ian McIntosh. Okay. Um, what about you, Benji? 
I'm a, it, it's a Benji Laniado, cryptically. Okay. Uh, but, and also Pickfair is, is P-I-C-F-A-I-R. Indeed at Pickfair, head over there. All right, nice one. What, what kind of thing do people find at Pickfair? We're, we are a fair trade image licensing company. So we, we let anybody license an image to anybody. So we've got thousands of Instagrammers around the world who can upload their images and, and uh, name their price. And we sell it to publishers and uh, businesses. And we pay them fairly. Getty and Shutterstock take 85% away from the photographers. Did you know that? I didn't know that, actually. Awful. This was an area of commerce that I was previously completely oblivious to. Oh, there you go. Nice one. And what about you, Mr Irving? That's Ian Irving TV, <laughs> simply. TV, I like that. Well, I couldn't get Ian Irving, so I didn't have a choice. Was it really. because the, the fellow stars in there, the, the old, the, the was it he got it? The guy who was famous in the, when was it, the 80s or something, wasn't it? Uh, it was a, like an after-dinner speaker, I think. Yes, that's yeah, him. Yeah, yeah I, think, that's that, I think that's right. It we was tried either that. to get him for today's show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he's at Ian Irving on Twitter, so you should oh. be able to find him quite easily. I think that was right. It was either that or the website name or something. But, yeah, it was uh, just an easy add-on to the end of the name, to be honest. OK, Football League show will be up on Tuesday. We'll be back on Thursday. Have yourselves a splendid time until then. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.